You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that people in Tanzania who follow pastoralist lives, meaning they basically live outdoors most of the time, they have average blood vitamin D levels of 46 going all the way up to 68 nanograms per milliliter. That's just from sun exposure. People in the US, at least in 2012 when they did a study, had an average level below 30, which is considered insufficient. I think you wanna be between 70 and 90 unless you have cancer, and then you probably wanna be above like 110. So there's a big difference there, and maybe being outdoors alone isn't enough. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest is a certified nutritional therapist, a writer, and a guy who actually practices forest bathing, which isn't nearly as prickly as you might expect from the way it sounds. He runs a top 25 health and fitness podcast, and he is none other than Evan Brand from notjustpaleo.com. Evan, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you got it. Your show's done some amazing stuff. Uh, you're at 150 episodes now, right? Yep. Just posted it last week. That's incredible. Congratulations. That's a big milestone. Thank uh, you. I think we just passed like 250. 
And anytime you're above 100, it, the difference between 100 and 200 is like, no, you, you've got this and you're just doing it. And I remember we first talked in one of the first, like, first couple dozen episodes on your show. And uh, it, was, it was a great interview about salt, man. So. Yeah, episode 16. So coming up on three years, which in the health space, three years is like 10 years. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I was young back then. You, yeah. You too. I mean, we both aged so much from. Right. <laughs> so people don't actually know how much work goes into podcasts, I don't think. But uh, it, it's it's kind of funny just to just imagine the amount of time spent staring at screens and not being in the forest that you do to put together uh, your show. Uh, but let's talk about uh, what is forest bathing since I already, I already mentioned it. Explain the concept and people listening to Bulletproof Radio might not have heard this. So what what is it? Well, it's just bathing yourself in the forest with trees. So, I mean, I was doing this long before I knew that it had a title associated with it. I used to work in a park where I was maintenancing hiking trails. So I was driving a gator with a chainsaw in the back through the woods 40 hours a week, and my stress levels were so low. I never got burnt out. I never had anything that gave me anxiety. I mean, I was just a chilled out person, and I had no idea that it had a name for it, just like paleo, you know, or something like that. Sometimes you do things you don't know they have a title with it. Eventually, I quit that job to pursue the big desk job and go work down in Texas at a supplement company, and my stress response was broken. And I started getting into heart rate variability, and I started testing (laughs) and measuring myself inside of the office versus inside the woods, and I noticed a significant increase in HRV scores when I went out into the woods. So I started just looking up in PubMed, forest, cortisol, forest, stress, things like that, and found out that this is a big deal. And in Japan, they call it Shinrin-yoku, or taking in the atmosphere of the forest, which sounds, I think, a lot cooler. And so you started finding out in the studies that people were having 12, 13, 15% reductions in cortisol after being immersed in a forest setting compared to a walking in the city sidewalk placebo, and that the NK killer cells were boosted like 50% even after a month, after just 30 minutes in the woods. So I was like, holy crap, this is a big deal. Why is nobody talking about this? Why are we not questioning what the modern city life exposure is doing to our stress levels and our stress response? So that's when I started really geeking out and and digging into forest bathing and trying to get others to do it. Now, forest bathing sounds pretty cool if you have a forest. So I, I have a forest in the backyard. Uh, in fact, a, a couple months ago, it almost burned down in the backyard, which is the downside of the forest, that in like uh, bears and cougars and things like that. Um, nothing wrong with cougars, but I'm talking about the kind of like big animal cougar. Right. And <laughs> what, <laughs> what, uh, what happens though if you, say, live in the desert or more likely you live in a giant city? Uh, what, uh-uh. How can you possibly? You're like, okay, great. Yeah, it would also be good if I had clean air and I had really good access to food, but I don't have any of those. So like, seriously, how important is the forest anyway? I know. That's a great point. And so I actually wanted to answer that question for people in my, for myself. And turns out they put a bunch of guys, I think it was 12 guys in this one study. They huddled them all together in a hotel room over a diffuser. So these guys were all just standing around huffing cypress oil in a diffuser. <laughs> <laughs> and they found huffing. similar they found similar results in terms of a decrease in cortisol and blood pressure. I don't think the results were as significant as being inside the forest and getting exposed to those phytoncides, these aromatic compounds that the trees and leaves put off, but it was definitely a good little hack. So in my office right up there on top of the bookshelf, I actually have a diffuser where I'm pumping organic 
peppermint and eucalyptus oils just to kind of wake up the senses a little bit, make sure I'm on my game. That's my little aromatic nootropic, if you will. Yeah, it's there's good evidence that our body responds to those little tiny signals from the environment. And in fact, I just talked about this new study recently. Uh, I think it was on Facebook, but they looked at the bacterial cloud that's around every human and every animal too. And they can actually identify who was in a room by, by sequencing the, the genome of the bacteria that's left in the room just from the air the person was breathing. So, so if we have this idea that, you know, I, I am a rock, you know, this, this is, you know, this is my body. I am independent. No way. Like there's like a cloud around you that interacts with the environment around you. And if you think that environment around you doesn't interact with you, like you're just wrong. And since the plants are putting this stuff out, you're taking it in. We just didn't know it had any effect. Uh, and there's a whole school of thought. And I don't know, are you trained in like aromatherapy and essential oil therapy and things like that? Or you just started using it as an environmental input, like the forest? Definitely the second one. Yeah, okay. I just started getting into essential oils after I had a bad burn and read about lavender oil and how that was discovered. The scientist who was playing with it burned himself. You may know the story better no, than I, me. I don't. No, no. Just tell me because I'll okay. tell you something funny about lavender oil when we're done. Uh, okay. Apparently, the, the way that lavender was discovered that it was good for burns is a chemist of a, I want to say it was a perfume or some type of uh, cosmetic company burned himself and the nearest thing was a vial of or a big jar of lavender oil that was going to be used for a fragrance for a perfume and so he shoves his hand in there and it alleviated tons of the symptoms of the burning and pain so that's kind of the introduction of lavender and then I just started using it myself every time I'd get a burn from whether it was poison ivy and I just scratch myself to death I would just mm -hmm. rub a little bit of lavender on top of that with some aloe and soothe it away. Now, there, there is a study, and I believe it's on PubMed, that says that uh, lavender oil um, can cause, lavender scent actually, uh, can cause uh, gynomastia. In other words, um, what weightlifters call bitch tits. So, you know, lavender is that kind of a feminine smell. It it's apparently causes uh, breast growth in men. However, after six weeks of not using it, they go back down. So, if you've noticed a little perkiness in areas you weren't expecting, <laughs> I mean, maybe we know why. I haven't had man boobs develop yet, so I think my dose is low enough to where I'll be okay. <laughs> See, I did have man boobs develop, but that's because I used to weigh 300 pounds, and you know they're, they're mostly gone. But you know, unless I'm going to have surgery, there's always a little bit of man boob that's left if you've been super obese. So I usually just rub lavender on them to make them, you know, a little bit more. No, I don't. But uh, I do use lavender as well. I just, uh, I just think that's a funny bit of trivia, and I think the effect is is tiny because I really can't tell any difference, and I don't think most guys can. And it's a common ingredient in, you know, in, in some skincare products. Yeah. And the idea, though, that your body is responding at an unconscious level to the things around you, um, you're measuring that with heart rate variability. How did you first discover heart rate variability? Like, where did you come across that? I was at uh, Paleo FX down there at the health conference and a guy said hey I really want to hook you up with this Bluetooth heart rate variability thing that you strap yep. under your breast here and then you hook it up to this app here's my new app can't remember the name right now I'm sorry and I hooked up myself to this app and I just started measuring myself at different times of the day so the morning I'd wake up and see what I was at according to this level here and then I would try to do some EFT some emotional freedom technique where I would go through and do the various tapping points Mm -hmm. and, and, so, and then I would for, notice for people who don't know what that is, the EFT, uh, the tapping, uh, was it the tapping solution mm -hmm. uh, is probably the, the best place you can find information about this. We'll put links in the show notes for you. But there's a whole movie about that, and it sounds ridiculous. But like, I don't know why you explain what EFT is the way you use it, but I just like make sure people who are listening who haven't heard of it don't just feel lost. 
Totally, yeah, yeah. EFT, it's emotional freedom technique. It's super helpful for anybody that has anxiety or nervousness or you're dealing with just bad emotions. You just kind of tap through those and you say affirmations. And it was kind of out there for me at first, but I mean, <laughs> I've tried Qigong and Tai Chi and other things where I've been laughed at in public in the park doing it. So I figured EFT was, you know, minimal investment and in, in embarrassment for that. So I started doing EFT and then noticing that my HRV score went up. And then I just started wearing this strap at different times during the day and paying attention to, well, there's a meeting. And this is when I was still at the office. There's a meeting coming up. My HRV went way down. As soon as I came out of the meeting, went outside and put my bare feet back into the dirt and went for a walk, took my shirt off, got some sunshine, HRV went back up. So, I mean, there's so many different variations that we experience during the day that we just, we don't really pay attention to. Yeah. It, it's it's that variations during the day, and I'll, I'll do a quick plug. I, I've got an app called Stress Detective, and it's not something that I push really hard. It's just something that that I think is important, like you. And I've I'm an advisor to the Heart Math Institute, uh, which makes uh, an ear clip trainer called Inner Balance, and I carry that in the store. And the reason is that it's not like uh, it's not a part of my business that that makes a giant difference, but it's something that's so important to talk about because you, you get all these people who, who are, they don't understand. Oh, that there's a difference in how I feel in the forest or a difference in I'm always stressed when I'm in a meeting with my boss or whatever these stressors are. You don't actually get the stress until you have some kind of feedback system. And we, if we had grown up in the forest and you know, we were walking around in loincloths, you'd feel it when there's a tiger about to jump on you. Like, like you're, you're integrated with the environment around you and you honor the signal from your body. When you grow up in the city, you don't get that signal. And I found anyway that training the signal, looking at a screen that tells me, oh my God, look what my nervous system's doing right now. And oh my, wait, wait, that actually correlates with this feeling. And to be like, all right, now I've got it dialed in. It's like somebody put stickers on all the knobs and dials that are in there that weren't labeled before. Uh, so that's essentially a quick plug there for stress detective uh, iPhone and uh, I don't have Android on that. And you can do so much just by gaining that awareness. You don't have to do it all the time. You just do it for a little while. Uh, so I, I'm stoked to hear that you're correlating forest exposure with that because I haven't really done that at all. And like, how what percentage of a difference do you see in your stress response when you're in the forest? Have you like quantified it? Is it 10% or 50%? Like, what's it's hard to range? say percentage, but when I had the HRV app up, mm -hmm. the specific one that I was using, it had a different little bar. So up to the far right corner, almost like a speedometer, was very high HRV score, yep. and then you had the yellow and then the red. So I would go from yellow, maybe mid-60s HRV score, up to, I could get up to 95. I never maxed it out completely, but I could get up to 95. That was in the forest, shirt off, barefoot, hugging the tree. I wasn't hugging the tree, literally, but just for <laughs> podcast sake, I was hugging the tree. Got it up to 95. That was the best I could do. That's, uh, that's hilarious. You, you, really, uh, you really go out there and just go for it. But we didn't. We kind of skirted the question. Right? All right. If you if you're not allowed to do forest bathing, or let's say you're allowed, but you just don't have a forest. You live in Los Angeles, where it's either desert or basically city, or beach maybe. You can put essential oils, you know, cypress or fir or pine. Like there's all kinds of really nice spruce, just essential oils that that do kind of wake you up in a way that chemical perfumes don't and, and they tell your body, all right, like you're getting some, some information from the environment around you from plants. But there isn't like the energetic field of the forest. There isn't like the soil stuff making volatile organics. There isn't, uh, you know, there isn't a full forest there. And visually you get nothing. 
is there anything else that's forest bathing like that that the vast majority of listeners in cities could do? Like, do I need like a picture of the forest in my cubicle? <laughs> exactly. No, seriously, that's it. So there was another similar study that I documented when I was researching all this, where people were just looking at a backdrop of forest, and that was enough to still reduce the stress response. I think they just measured that by blood pressure in that scenario. So if you pop on YouTube, there's tons of different HD, you know, point of view where people are walking through the trail. You put on some good headphones where you're getting the full 360 immersive experience. Maybe you could use a grounding mat while you're watching that. I mean, if you try to just hack it as many ways as you can, take little baby steps in different directions. You're rubbing the essential oil under your nose real quick before you watch the video trying to Maybe do do pine for a pine forest, whatever you're watching. <laughs> now, so. now, is this forest or is this nature? Because, like, I grew up in New Mexico. We have some pinons, those little pine nut trees, and, and some kind of scrub. But for the most part, I feel at home. You put me on a, a place with big, big skies and little dots of shrubs and lots of brown. I'm like, oh, this this is so nice. You know, that this is this feels like home. And you put me in a forest. I'm like, this is visually amazing, and it's just too damn green. Because, like, epigenetically, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a desert guy, right? And, of course, I live in a rainforest, so I've, I've gotten over that. Uh, but I still, every time I go to the desert, I'm like, I'm, I'm home. Is that part of it, like, you need to go to your native environment uh, where your people are from, or at least where you, you spent the first, uh, you know, X number of years of your life? Do you think there's something to that, or is it just nature? Uh, is the beach going to do it? Like, I don't know. Dave, this is why I like you, because you think deeper than most I was just talking about this literally yesterday with my wife because <laughs> I'm cool. from so I'm from Kentucky where it's a temperate forest. You have four seasons here. I love it. You get snow, you get the change of the colors of the leaves that's happening now. So I lived out in Las Vegas for six years and my epigenetics were going crazy. The desert was beautiful and inspiring and it looked like artwork, but there was something that just felt off, some yeah. type of just dissonance that I really can't quantify or, or call what, what that actually is. It was just some weird vibe that was not jiving perfectly. So then I'd get homesick and I'd come home for vacation, visit some of the family. Everything felt right again. It felt like my digestion was better. My stress response was better. So then I moved back, moved to Texas, down in Austin, lived there a couple years. It was still green, different type of green, a lot drier, a lot browner, a lot more fast paced. Something felt off again, but it was still the forest. So back came back to Kentucky again everything's back into place. So I really do think that there's some type of encoding that we're not able to really measure yet that where you're planted or where your seed was grown, so to speak, that you may have some attachment that's always going to pull you back there. And I think that's a good thing. And a lot of people are living in different places in the country because of a job or because of some other obligation, and they just don't go home. I just talked to a client this morning. She's from Scotland. And I said, you have to go back home. She's down in Dallas. The the fast-paced life is just killing her. Her digestion's wrecked. You know, she's having all sorts of IBS and other issues. The diet's straight. The supplements are good, but something's still off, and she doesn't know why. And I say, well, how much do you enjoy living in Dallas? Well, I hate it. Well, how much is that going to weigh into your overall health and longevity? I think that's a big piece of the puzzle that we seem we seem to not pay much attention to. I actually think that it's a little bit more complex than on two different levels than, than the average uh, scientific perspective would have. One is that we know, and, and I wrote the Better Baby book and talking about epigenetics and how the environment changes gene expression. And there's even some evidence out there, you know, people who are raised in this environment, they, their gut biome, the bacteria in the gut, 
is going to be optimized for, for that environment, but it can change. But there's a school of Korean acupuncture that looks at the average like relative length of different organs in the body <laughs> and attempts to make like food recommendations. But there's something that tells the body how to grow, right? Like there's an, an energy field and this is not woo-woo science. This is how stem cells know to turn into liver versus bone. Because if you grew a bone where your liver is, you would die. Yet, so somehow when you're one cell in the womb, and then eight cells, and you basically keep multiplying from there, the cells know when to become tongue versus toe. And that's an energetic field, and uh, it's a magnetic field, and probably an electromagnetic field. So we're still figuring some of that stuff out, but we know we can guide some cellular growth with things like electrical current. So let's say that I grew up, I'm, I'm a desert guy, right? I, I, until I was 16, I was a desert guy. And you look at um, you look at what's going to happen there. So now I'm kind of optimized to be a part of my environment. We didn't evolve. We weren't optimized to be part of the system of the world to basically pop from here to the Arctic and suddenly survive there. And how do we know that? Well, we just figured out like people who natively evolved in the Arctic have a special gene that makes them uh, use omega-3s more effectively and efficiently than you or me, Evan. And, and so we're like, all right, let's argue. You're, you're a Kentucky guy, right? So if you're optimized for that and I'm optimized for this, we have a connection there that's that's bacterial, that's that's probably energetic. If you look at what a, a shaman will tell you, they'll tell you that it's a multi-generational thing. And like your family makes a connection with the land. And if you look at even the way we talk about land, we talk about you know old families or natives, that there is a connection that probably takes you know, 200 years <laughs> of, of someone living in a valley where all of a sudden, like, okay, they're connected, they know, like, they understand the seasons, like, they just, they know it, and they grew up there, and their parents and their grandparents, and we've totally walked away from that, and I don't think we're likely to get that back in most families forever. Question for you, though, is, based on what you've learned about forest bathing and all that, is, can we replicate that well enough in a city to, to drive our stress? Or are we pretty much like, you know, we've just lost the connection with land and it's gone forever? It's hard to say. I mean, because then as soon as you were talking about the heritage, it makes you think, well, I've traced my heritage back to 1650 in Ireland. Am I programmed for Ireland or am I programmed for Tuck Kentucky? Why, why, do you think you're like, why do you think you like uh, bulletproof coffee, Irish butter? See, it's, it's genetic. There's so many Irish in the U.S. That's the secret. I do, I do like <laughs> Irish butter. <laughs> So, yeah. uh, but but in more seriousness, you may be programmed there, but also, are you 100% Irish? No, I'm Serious. like one sixteenth <laughs> Native American or something. Some German, who knows? I'm a mutt, like like most of us. Yeah, I, I'm four and a half percent Neanderthal. Uh, by yeah. the way, I have the overhanging ridge, and you know, I, I can grunt very effectively. So, <laughs> <laughs> what what does all that mean? Especially when we're we're all mixed genetically like that? I, I don't really know, but it. It, it's worth consideration that if you go somewhere and you're like, you just you feel that deep sense of relaxation, like all right, I feel like I'm home. Like that's something that's worth paying attention to. Whether you're at home in the forest in Kentucky versus the forest in Vermont, you're like all right, like this this feels good. And and if it if it makes sense, all other things being held equal, to be in an environment that feels more like home, that's probably an optimal decision to make. Uh, yeah, I, I did want to make sure that I that I directly answered the question. Yeah. I think if someone is feeling some weird thing in their gut about where they are, if you can't make home home, so say you're in Los Angeles but you're not from there, if you can't create an environment, like I have a huge bamboo plant like right here, this thing's massive, and 
that thing makes me feel like home. So wherever I take it, it gives me just that little piece of home. So if you can try to recreate an environment, maybe you bring a little, you know, some succulents that you can set on your desk that kind of reminds you of the desert environment. Maybe that's something that you can do that's going to send that little signal back through and sort of please that nostalgia or whatever it is inside of you. And if that doesn't work, then maybe you just need to explore a little more and figure out where you're going to feel comfortable. So one of the things that I haven't played with, but that you probably could play with, is we have these new VR goggles. And I I do have a really awesome set of VR goggles I'm using for some consciousness research stuff um, that I'm going to unveil at the Bulletproof Conference. It's kind of neat. Uh, but I actually wonder if we're going to get to the point where, like, literally, you, you just put on some VR goggles and you're like, all right, like, this is the one, this is the thing. And by the way, we tested six landscapes, and this is the one that dropped my heart rate variability the most. So as I'm meditating or as I'm doing whatever, I'll just have this on, and, and it sounds actually pretty freaking horrible to me, right? Okay, my, my meat is crying out to be outside and see the forest, but I'm actually, like, at work, and it's like, kind of boring. So now I'm wearing VR goggles. Now I told my body I was in the forest. I didn't tell it that from like an EMF perspective. I just told it that from a visual perspective and I poured some spruce oil around. I'm like, all right, I tricked the body enough. Now the, the dystopian horribleness of that is obvious. On the other hand, you're going to be in the damn cubicle anyway. You could have looked at it like a beige, like non-offensive, non-interesting pattern for the entire day on a flat rectilinear surface. Or you could have had a three-dimensional thing, even if it's all inside a pair of goggles. You're probably going to be happier and more relaxed with the goggles, but not as happy or relaxed as you'd be if you were actually able to look out a window or go out into the forest and you know have a, have a phone call while you're walking around, which is what I tend to do. Yeah, I'm excited for the VR stuff. I've seen the new one where you can basically plug in one of the Galaxy phones or the new iPhone. It plugs in and you just adjust the lenses. Is that one that you're experienced in? Uh, I have something that's designed for, um, for flying drones. So it's a first-person view thing where you can mount the camera anywhere you want and you see what the camera sees. Uh, but it's, it's pretty interesting what you can do with that. I don't have an Oculus Rift. I, I plan to get one whenever they're available. Like yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping that this thing takes off. It's been hard for such a long time because I think people don't want to invest if it's like a standalone system where it's only going to be used for that. But if you have just the headset, you just pop in your phone and then you're able to use it. It, it has think, a couple mirrors, lens things. Yeah, that, yeah that, everybody's going to do that. It's it's kind of creepy. And, and there's a lot of stuff that happens. Well, let's talk more about the forest. I, I love it that you're like into this. Um, the other thing that happens that, that no one talks about is there's... Uh, a focus vision and there's a peripheral vision and the level of visual complexity in a, in a city it's all planes and angles and maybe a few curvy buildings made out of basically planes but for the most part that's what you see and that also stresses the visual system out because we evolved to be in a rich 3d world you go to the forest uh, or even to a desert or to the ocean it's like big vast expanse of sky which has its own effect because you're getting blue light that comes to the visual receptors on the bottom of the eyes but in the forest, it's all around you, and it's incredibly dense information-wise. So we're, we're like lacking that stimulus, and what that tends to make us do is pull our vision into the middle and, and kind of hyper-focus and just ignore all the periphery because it's either too crowded or it's, it's basically visually stressful. Um, I, I think we can address that quite a bit. Have you done any research on like vision in the forest or, or anything I don't, like that? I don't have research, but I have okay. clinical experience for people that were literally on their way to the optometrist 
on a phone call with me. I'm going to get glasses. This is it. And I said, hey, hold on just a second. You, you work indoors all the time. You're never exposed to anything over probably 100 lux. You know, a cloudy day, lux is a measurement of brightness. So a cloudy day is, I've measured it with a couple different apps on my phone. Don't know how accurate it is. But a cloudy day is about 10,000 lux where a sunny day could be 100,000 plus lux. And that's going to be helpful for regulating, you know, circadian rhythms and things like that. So this guy, he was always in the office and he got transported from his, his box, his house box, to his car box, to his office box. And in between those sessions in the car, he has the sunglasses on. So he's never really getting true bright light. And so I just said, hey, why don't you just wait a couple more weeks before you do this thing, I want you to do 15 minutes of bright light in the morning and 15 minutes of sunset time just to get tuned in with the earth yeah. again. Get tuned in with that cycle and look at the furthest thing you can and then look at your hand and then look at the furthest thing you hand. There's probably a name for this, kind of this you know, short focal length and long focal length. Yeah, the, the Bates method, it, it's related yeah. to that. You, you were doing, a, well, it's kind of a hacked version of that. Yeah, um, I, I spent about three months doing training with a, a developmental ophthalmologist, which is a very unusual, uh, like subspecialty of like how your eyes and, and the nervous system work. And I went from twenty sixty or twenty eighty in both eyes back to twenty twenty doing those kind of exercises. Like I, I had LASIK many years ago, and my eyes had drifted from twenty fifteen where they were after LASIK. By the way, I don't recommend LASIK. It was a mistake. I wish I hadn't done it. But why is that? Why do you not recommend it? You lose your night vision and you don't for the first year you notice it after that you just kind of tell yourself you didn't like your body adjusts for it, but you'll never have the same night vision after you uh, after you have LASIK. And also, I've never heard that. Yeah, you also tend to get uh, dry eyes and some other complexities they don't talk about. And you, the reason really though, you don't need it. If you're willing to put in the time and it's you know an hour, maybe several times a week, I did all sorts of stuff with weird lenses and looking at tiny letters and changing my focal length and expanding my periphery, peripheral vision and spinning around and getting dizzy and wanting to throw up. Um, that's all part of training your vision. And I still do like, like balance exercises that are vision-based to keep my eyes strong. But if you do that stuff, or honestly, if you go for a walk in a forest with 3D peripheral vision and you take a deep breath and you relax and you pay attention to the leaves at the edge of your vision, that alone will relax your eyes, which relaxes what the 25% of your brain that's doing visual processing all the time. So there's this whole weird loop there. And I, I think you can hack that entirely. And, and what you're saying is just the daylight thing without even the complex forest, you were able to work with, this was a client of yours or a friend or? Yeah, this was a client. Okay. Long story short, he didn't end up getting the glasses. Wow. He, he didn't have the forest. He was uh, out in LA, so he had the beach to look at. That was his yeah. farthest point of contact. I said, just look out as far over the horizon as you can, and then look at your hand, and then repeat. I'm not. I haven't kept up with him since then. But last I heard, he didn't get the glasses, and he's feeling a lot better. So I'm assuming that he never got them. Well, look, glasses do train your eyes to be weak, and I, uh, I'm glad that I don't need corrective lenses anymore. But it, it, you reminded me of something else that that happened. Uh, years ago, I worked on Sand Hill Road. This is like where all the venture capitalists in Silicon Valley are. And I was what's called entrepreneur in residence. So I'd, I'd been successful at some companies. So uh, Trinity Ventures, uh, the company that's backing Bulletproof now, um, hired me to come in for a few months and to help them find deals. But entrepreneur in residence are like kind of the, the lowest of the low uh, at, 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 from some perspectives in a VC because they're always coming and going. So they gave me this desk and it was facing a wall in an interior room. 
And they only had wall sconces, like these, these horrible things with fluorescent lights in them. And fluorescent lights make everybody weak. They make me really weak. Uh, my visual processing has never been that strong. And so instead of being able to look outside is like the, basically the hills, the Santa Cruz mountains are right there. Instead of being able to look at anything like that, I'm looking literally at a wall, you know, not very far away from me. And I've got a, a brand new Mac with those stupid glossy glass screens that are bad for everyone as well, reflecting two fluorescent lights into my eyes. And I was a zombie the whole time. And I just remember going, what is wrong? And finally, what I ended up doing to sort of hack the problem was, like every hour or two, I'd get up and I'd go outside for five minutes and I would just breathe and I'd look out in the distance to bring my focal length out. And it, I probably had a worse effect from that than a lot of people would. But if you're listening to this right now, like listen to what Evan's saying, listen to what I'm saying, and just looking at something far away <laughs> can totally change how your brain works, right? It's simple, yeah. And another thing I used to do when I had to spend way too much time on the computer is have some of those computer glasses. I think they were prescribed, recommended for gamers. Yeah, Gunner. Have just, Make some Gunner. Yeah, the, the G-U-N-N-A-R, yeah. I think. Yeah, I've used the Gunners, and those were really helpful at just reducing the glare. But yep. it just, it's just, it's still, you're not built for that. You're built to look out at things. You know, so at a certain point, we can only hack so far, and I'm sure even you couldn't out-coffee or out-supplement the craziness that, that happens when you're stuck in, a, in an environment like that. No, I mean, you, you can give someone uh, tranquilizers, but you're, that's not winning. That's just a Band-Aid on it, right? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a user or a fan of those. Um, the other thing that, I guess, since we're talking about eyes and forest and all that stuff, that we're, is, or the other person who's worth mentioning is, is Helen Erlin with her work on like the color spectrum that makes your brain work best. And uh, I've been to see her personally, like my whole family has, and she's like 48% of people, like, they get worse brain performance when they have the wrong color spectrum. So she takes like adults with dyslexia or kids, and she's like, here, put this colored blue sheet or orange sheet or whatever on top of the piece of paper, and suddenly the words stop moving. And it, it's about colors. And I, I've often wondered if that may have something to do with, you know, where you, where and how you grew up, right? Like you're optimized to see the spectrum of the world around you. And if you suddenly change your brain, subtle stress, visual system stress, it's so complex and almost no one studies it, but Helen Erlen, Erlen Institute, um, she's a friend, I have no financial relationship, just like her glasses completely changed my ability to be in a badly lit boardroom. <laughs> so if you ever see me indoors wearing a hat and sunglasses, uh, Helen taught me that that made me kick ass, so. That's awesome. Now, uh, let's see. What else do we want to talk about? Because there's so much. The other thing, you and I are some of the, the, the I don't want to say the few people because it's starting to make inroads. But in the paleo world, there's a lot of talk about food. Um, lately, it's like, oh, look, I have paleo desserts. Like, as, as long as it's full of you know, sugar that has a natural sticker on it, it's still paleo, right? Um, but that's your whole thing, not just paleo. It's like you talk about stress, and I talk about stress a lot. And one of the things that we've both been using for a while is uh, the set of adaptogenic herbs. What's, uh, what's your favorite adaptogen? How do you use adaptogens? What are they? And I think a long-time listeners already know a lot of this, but a, a lot of people listening probably haven't heard this. So why should I care about adaptogens? What are they going to do for me? So my exposure to adaptogens happened when I was working out at the park. So if I go back to that story real quick where I was hiking multiple, multiple miles per day up different terrain, I was wearing boots. I wasn't barefoot hiking at this time because it was a lot of stuff that you could get stabbed, glass yeah. and drunk fishermen, things like that. So um, <laughs> you never know if there'd be a hook around the lake where I'd have to you know, clean up some trails there. So anyway... And by the end of the week, I was exhausted, and I didn't want to be exhausted. So I started researching into rhodiola, 
And I found that rhodiola had a mild antidepressant effect as an adaptogen, but it also had an endurance boosting effect as well. So I started just taking 500 milligrams of rhodiola and it was extracted the way you want it to, you know, 3% rows of ends, 1% salad sides. And now there's another one coming in. I can't think of it now, Dave. There's another component of rhodiola that they're starting to extract. They're finding that that's even stronger than the other two previously uh, found extracts of it. Anyhow, that was my first exposure to adaptogens. And then I just got sucked into the rabbit hole. And now I just, depending on the day, whether I want the energy boost, whether I want like a mild anti-anxiety relief or flying, traveling, things like that, I'll use different things. Ashwagandha is another favorite that I use for morning time or evening for people that are struggling with energy and or sleep issues. So Shajandra, I really love Shajandra berry. I'll take some organic matcha tea and I'll just add a little bit of Shajandra extract into the tea and stir that in and it kind of makes the flavor. I mean, the way matcha and shijandra go together, it's amazing. So that's kind of my favorite little stack. I, I really, uh, I've used adaptogens for 15 years, uh, just about every day. And, and the idea that, that they modulate your stress response, even at the cellular level, is kind of important. And a lot of this is that our bodies, as amazing as they are, are stupid. Like, like they don't understand anything because like my brain understands all that stuff, but the body's all wired into all these, these things. And frankly, we kind of set the world up in a way that doesn't make our bodies very happy. And so you could just allow the stress. You could say, I'm going to just will the stress away. I will meditate for 16 hours a day and you know, I'll, I'll live on a mountaintop and like, well, okay, <laughs> you still can't see as many stars as your ancestors did because we've got light pollution. Like, you can't get away from it, at least not at the very nuanced levels. No matter what you try to do, there's going to be some aspect of, of technology. And by the way, it's probably good because technology lets you do things like listen to podcasts, right? Like, it, it, it's okay. Like, we're getting great benefits from the world we built, but our bodies are too dumb to take advantage of that. So if adaptogens are one of the things you could do to let your body deal with unconscious, invisible stressors. The argument against using them, I don't know that there is much of an argument except that like that, that old fashioned like 1960s, like, you know, I stand alone, I don't need any assistance. It's like, that sounds like a lot of work, man. Like I, I'm strategically lazy. Like I, I really, like I stand with, you know, the people who support me <laughs> and the technologies that support me. And like, I, I do more interesting stuff as a result. So like I struggle less and like, you know, benefit more. Like, do you agree yeah. with that perspective or? Is, oh yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of radical, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, 2015 as a year is the craziest year I've ever experienced. I mean, it's kind of a paradoxical year for me. There's so much good stuff going on at the same time. And so many people are listening to our shows and they're improving their lives and, it just makes me happy to think that at least one person is going to go away from this show and, and it's going to improve their day. And we're putting those people back out into the world and it's creating this little viral effect where everybody is rubbing off and they're telling each other, hey, have you tried this yet? Have you done this yet? And so we have this like healthy virus that's happening on the planet. You know, so there's just so many good and bad things happening at the same time. So for me, I think it's almost essential to have, I don't think, I believe that it's essential to have an adaptogenic formula somewhere around you that you can use on hand because we've never experienced the type of issues and complexities of things that are both building up and collapsing at the same time. So to me, if you want to make it in the world, it's not so much the survival of the fittest anymore. It's kind of the survival of 
the most adaptable, the people that are going to be able to adapt to this stuff. Because I've seen countless clients where they burn out because they can't handle their job. They can't handle their job because they don't have the nutrition dialed in. They don't have the nutrition dialed in because they're so focused on, say, watching the news or keeping up with their latest show. And they forget how important to take care of themselves really is. And then when they start turning the focus away from celebrities and places like that to onto themselves and they start getting these nutrients back in their body and they realize, wow, I do have power. I am able to change the world a little bit. And adaptogens can be that catalyst that's going to help you move up to the next level of helping people and helping others and increasing your longevity, building back up your stress bucket, reducing and managing your cortisol, all these different things that's happening. If you can do that, you're going to make it and you're going to be just fine. There's so many fears and insecurities out there. This is something that can really help you to be more confident and get rid of the fear because it's not really going to help you progress. Another area where you and I spend a lot of, of time thinking and, and talking about stuff is what nutrition does for stress and anxiety. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, I always start with blood sugar. A lot of people skip meals. You know, I'm definitely a fan of intermittent fasting. It has great benefits, but I find that if people are so wrecked already and they just come from a straight standard American diet where they're just eating garbage, maybe a couple times they're just snacking all day, their metabolism's completely deranged, and then they just go straight into just not eating and their blood sugar's crashing and they're tapping into their adrenal glands too much, <laughs> they, they feel like crap. So I right. always start there. I, I, gotta, I gotta ask you something. Have you noticed that people who do plain intermittent fasting with nothing in the morning at all every single day or almost every single day, do they develop certain personality characteristics? I would say they develop panicky type. Ah. <laughs> There's like a super angry vibe. And if yeah. you don't believe me, just go to some of the like purest intermittent fasting websites. And it's like everyone's trying to smack each other down. And that kind of makes sense because of what you just said. It's this adrenal overactivation because you're using adrenaline to burn the fat when there's nothing there. And if you just keep pounding on the adrenals over and over, what happens? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to tap into that adrenal issue because they're wanting to rest. They have so much to deal with already. Most people are locked into that sympathetic fight or flight mode all the time anyway. So the last thing you want to do is let that blood sugar crash to unsafe levels that's going to cause that adrenal gland to work because then you're just going to push yourself further down into the adrenal fatigue cascade and you're going to wonder why your CrossFit exercise isn't doing anything anymore or you could still gain weight while doing that stuff. If you're <laughs> messed up, then you're going to have to dig a lot deeper. So, What do you think about this idea of calories in, calories out? I don't ever count anything, Dave. I don't count. I don't weigh. I don't say six blueberries, three ounces of grass-fed beef. You don't, you don't weigh your poop or anything like that? Don't weigh anything. Not yeah. even poop. What I actually do, because I, I'm, I'm a fervent believer in calories in and calories out, is I actually burn my poop and see how much heat comes off of it so I can know how many <laughs> calories went out via that pathway. But then I also have this problem because like, I actually like, I generate heat. So I wear a parka that collects all of my heat so I can measure how many calories went out. Or maybe I don't, and you actually have no freaking clue if you think it's calories in, calories out, unless you live in a chamber that measures all that. Uh, in which case, you can actually show calories in, calories out works some of the time, but there are these stupid variances that you can't account for, like how an antibiotic changes food efficiency by 30%. And, and so I think a lot of people are dealing with that mindset, which directly, the, the calories in, calories out mindset, which directly causes them to do things that cause unstable blood sugar. Like, I'm going to eat less and work out more 
and it's not to say that maybe you could be eating too much and you could be never exercising, but if you're just going to say, well, I'm just going to apply that logic and go to the end, you end up hitting the stress cycle you just talked about, Evan, and then all of a sudden we have these people who are just like overtrained, they're undernourished, they don't have enough calories, and their adrenals are completely destroyed from that, and they can't lose weight even though they're, they're doing things that are kind of ridiculous. Yeah, women are afraid of overeating, even in the health space that we're in. Women are still afraid of overeating. It's like, I promise, add that extra tablespoon of butter to your steamed broccoli with some pink salt. You're going to be fine. That's what you need. You don't need to worry about, oh, am, am I okay to use one and a half tablespoons? It's like, I don't care how many tablespoons you use. Just get the butter in, get the coconut in, get the ghee, MCT, whatever you want to do. Get these fats in because you seriously need them. Look at your hormone readings. I mean, they're, they're garbage. Yeah, and it, it, it just kind of makes me sad. I, I, this is maybe a, a year and a half ago. Uh, I met a couple at a conference, and uh, the wife was pregnant. And she was maybe in the you know, second trimester, but her husband, very well-intentioned, has been like, oh, you have to be vegetarian. Um, and, you know, bordering on vegan, like, you, you, just, you have to do it. And, and I, I was like, guys, like, let me buy her a grass-fed steak. And, and I had my stick of, of grass-fed butter. So I hacked off a big hunk and I put it on top of the steak. And have you ever seen like like a starving person eat? <laughs> so she like covers the plate kind of like you would in prison. And she makes these sounds that are like oomph, oomph, oomph when she's eating. <laughs> and, uh, and he looks at me and goes, uh, Dave, I think she likes you more now than she likes me. But it, it was that like permission to have butter, especially during a time when it's the most biological demand there will ever be on a woman's body is when she's building another body inside of her, right? Um, and, and that idea that, that we're supposed to thrive, but we're not supposed to have those foods that make us thrive, um, I, it, it's actually cruel. And, and I, I don't have a problem if, if people decide they want to be vegetarian, as long as they're tracking what it's doing to them and what it's doing to the world around them. And they can reconcile those things. Like I know some people, um, not that many, but I know a few people who are you know, 55 and they've been vegetarian for 30 years and their bone density is fine and they're not overweight and their blood sugar is stable and they still have their hair. And you're like, all right, like it can be done. Uh, but for every one of those, I know a lot of other people who didn't pull that off. And so the idea that, that one thing is going to work for everyone that doesn't really match in my world, but what does work for everyone is not smacking your adrenals over the head every single morning, right? Absolutely, yeah. I see like a three to six month window for most people that go, I'm talking more like vegans. There's like a three to six window, three to six month window where they feel okay or better just getting rid of the standard American diet, but eventually the stuff catches up to them and then they start eating butter by the spoonful and feel better, like you said. It, it was interesting. I was talking, God, this was right when I first started blogging with uh, my friend Karez Reynolds, who runs a CrossFit gym in Arizona, and a uh, hammer CrossFit. He, he was like, Dave, I can tell you what someone eats when they walk in the door and they do my first performance assessment test. And I'm like, what is it? And he goes, well, I have them jump up and hold onto a bar. And then I measure how long they can hang on that bar before they, they have to let go. And he's like, it doesn't matter how they look. If someone comes in who is vegan, they will not be able to hold on to that bar as long as someone on a standard American diet. And the standard American diet cannot hang on as long as someone who's doing a high-fat paleo kind of thing. It's predictable. And I was like, that's so interesting. There was like an endurance thing. And this isn't meant to pick on vegans. I was a raw vegan, right, I, uh, for quite a while. And like I'm, I'm willing to do whatever is going to make the body work best. But it was this idea that I was like, okay, I bought into a philosophy, but I wasn't measuring the results I was getting. And in fact, even if I did, the first 
you know, 30, 60 days are pretty fantastic if, if you want to go vegan. <laughs> uh, it's what happens after that. It wasn't so fantastic. Right. I don't know. I'm on a tangent here and I was going to ask you something about that, but I think you got me on the tangent. So I, I don't know. Let's talk about like local food or something. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to tell a story. Yeah. This is something I planned. I wanted to tell a story about my first time trying Finibit. Now, this is a little bit of topic whiplash, but since we were in the category of adaptogens, yeah, yeah. I just wrote a book. It's not out but it's the everything nootropic book. When As soon as I can get a copy sent to you, I will. It's coming out in bookstores and everything by Christmas. I don't even have a publication date. But something that I wrote about is Finibit. And you make the GABA Wave product yep. that is phenyl-GABA. Well, and it's a liposomal form of it, yeah. Even better. Yep. It, it changed my life, and this is why. <laughs> nice. This is why. So I was working at Lexus. This was probably five or six years ago. Lexus, the car dealership. And there was a guy there, when I first started working there, there was a guy that was just super happy and super energetic. He had this different feel than everybody else around him. And I asked him, like, what, what's your secret? What are you doing? And he just pulls out this little vial of, from his backpack, and it's just white powder. I'm like, what, what is that? <laughs> no wonder you're so happy at a car dealer. Right. I wonder what the white powder could be. Exactly. I know. I had some I had some concerns at first. And he said he said, This is this is Finibit. So I went into I think I went into the bathroom or something. I don't know. I felt it was it was a weird environment. Anyway, I think I went and looked up on my phone on Wikipedia about Finibit. And I'm like, huh, prescription anxiety reliever in Russia, significant benefit, uh, standard use in Russian cosmonaut kit. Like, wow, this is insane. So I come back out, I get my first dose. Within 10 to 15 minutes, I was noticing how beautiful the raindrops were on top of the car. Like I had this immediate GABA boost where color perception was enhanced, the vividness of everything was enhanced, and it felt like the world's dial of chaos was turned down from about a 7 or 8 to about a 3 or 4. It changed my life ever since. And so I know we got into this kind of other rant and tangent of adaptogens and and things like that. But I just want people to know that there's so many emotions that you have to deal with. And there is a way that you can hack these emotions and that you can better deal with them. And that's going to make the difference between you succeeding and your next goal. I know there's a lot of high achievers listening to this show that are hustling and they're doing 20 different things at once trying to achieve this on the side or build this business or whatever it is, build a company, etc., and they want to be able to hack these different things that act as roadblocks. There's not that many roadblocks anymore if you have the right nutrients and the right compounds to go to during those times. And I'm not saying there's always a pill or a capsule or a liquid or something that you need to take to get through those times. I'm definitely a fan of dealing with emotions and, and going through them. But I've just had so many experiences that have been improved with these different compounds that it's worth mentioning to everyone. I uh, I hear you exactly, and I, I'll I guess I'll be a little bit more straightforward. Um, you can get by uh, on a, a very simple diet of uh, say white rice, uh, you know, a little bit of gruel, um, and you know you probably won't die, right? And you might say, well, that's not so good. Like I want to at least have some eggs with that, and maybe a little bit of vegetables and whatever else. Everything you do from there on out is is basically cheating, right? 
because now you're using food processing. Even the white rice was cheating, right? right? All, all of these things, you're relying on these outside things in order to perform better. Unless you're growing all of your own food, including you know, you're the one doing the digging and the harvesting, and you prepare it for the winter. Let's face it, like very few people are doing that anymore. So you're already using technologies in order to cheat. It's just what it is. At fire, are you staying warm with assistance? Oh, cheater. Like, <laughs> like so you look at that, you're like, oh, did you want to use an herb that decreased your stress response or at least made your stress response more nimble? Well, yeah, okay, I think that you would want to do that. And then would you want to use uh, a smart drug? Whether it's pharmaceutical or whether it's you know, a, a natural non-drug, a smart herbal formula, a nootropic, uh, would you want to do that? Um, the answer is you probably would. In fact, you probably are. The nature's first one would be called coffee, if not ayahuasca, which most people haven't done. It's the, the hallucinogens from South America, which I, I've done in South America with shamans. That might be nature's first smart drug. But you know, nicotine, that's another one of nature's smart drugs. So the idea that, oh, we're, we're doing something abnormal? Like, I'm sorry. I think we've all been doing these as a society for hundreds of years, and it helped to form the society that we have. So when someone says, you know, well, you know, how, how could you do that? It's like, how, you're already doing it. You just don't, you didn't look, right? Do you agree with that? It's, it's also kind of radical, but do you disagree with that? Because amphetamine is, is one of those kind of cloudy areas now where like, okay, it is a GABA. GABA is a natural, uh, natural receptor, but I'm, I'm having a hard time getting, you know, stable quality suppliers uh, for the stuff because it's, it's in kind of a nebulous zone. Yeah, and I mean, you know, messing with the GABA agonist and things like that, it's definitely a slippery slope for some people. But in general, I think overall the stuff you're talking about, different herbs, adaptogens, to me it's a no-brainer. I think this is the sustainable solution to the unsustainable things that we have going on in the world. And the rest of the people are going to continue to shove themselves back down into the energy drink and pharmaceutical and surgery model, this conventional model that's, that's can, can you know – it's it's so convenient for people to go to that model. And there's this fork in the road where you and I and, and the rest of the listeners are going. It's almost like we're creating our own version of utopia, but we're just sprinkled in like salt and pepper into society right now. So I, I don't know eventually how this thing's going to to turn out, but I'm just thinking big picture here of of how all of us are going to eventually convene. I know conferences is a fun way, but it almost seems like we need like a... I don't know, an island or something. Yeah, I, I thought about the, the cruise ship 200 miles offshore kind of thing where you can do it, and, and I, I didn't invent that idea. Actually, uh, my friend Patry Friedman, uh, who is the head of the, the Sea Setting Institute for a while, um, we, we've hung out more than a few times, and, and it, it's pretty funny. Like that. He's like, yeah, we'll do that. Like You can do whatever you want. But bottom line is, is I, I'm not that interested in you know, sitting around and having you know, the ability to, to use whatever drugs, I, you know, whatever drugs I think are going to make me high or something. It's not that. It's that I want to control my neurochemistry so that my brain is what I want it to do. And I, I get kind of annoyed when someone says, oh, you, you can have this, but you can't have that. Why? Because you have to get a permission slip and spend a few hundred dollars and waste an hour of your time in a meeting to get a permission slip. Like, not cool, not okay, and just not in alignment with the world that I live in. And, and so this is, this is weird where some natural compounds... Um, are highly regulated, like alcohol. <laughs> uh, others are not, like adaptogens. Uh, and it, it, just, it doesn't make sense to me at a very fundamental level, or pot, 
like, like a million people in jail for using an herbal thing, uh, whether or not it, it affects you positively or negatively, it doesn't affect you as negatively as alcohol has affected society. So um, I, I think that there's a, a lot of soul searching that people could do. And, and I, I love that you just came out and you're like, yeah, I used Phenibut uh, and it changed my life. But that said, there's a downside to Phenibut. I mean, do you know what it is? Oh, absolutely. Well, you wrote so you on this stuff. And so, so, so let's talk about the downsides. People know about it. Yeah. Well, let me tell this this story about the same guy. Yeah. So you dig a little deeper, and I realize he's going back to his dosage three times a day. <laughs> yes. And I said, well, I said, hey, man, I just looked online. It looks like, you know, a mild to moderate dosage is anywhere from two to 600 milligrams, right? He goes, yeah. I said, well, how much do you take a day? He said six grams. Yeah. He's, he's seriously messing himself up. I said, oh my God, six grams. He said, yeah. He said, so here's how it works. He said, I perfectly time my shipments of the UPS delivery guy so that by the time this one runs out, I can guarantee that this new package is coming to my door. And I smile about this, but it's actually terrifying because this guy was not able to sleep and had panic attacks and major withdrawal and completely wrecked himself because he downregulated GABA so much. I haven't kept up with him lately so I don't know what his recovery status was, but he went down the rabbit hole too far. So that is definitely a, a disclaimer that I would make, that it's something I only use maximum nowadays, maybe once every six months or so in a small dosage, but because I don't, I don't need it. But if I needed it, I would say someone could be benefit from it you know, a couple times a week or so. And I know you have warnings on your product just for that reason. Yeah, this is one of those things where you could harm yourself. Now, if, if we looked at, I would say, Tylenol, you can harm yourself a lot more quickly and more profoundly with Tylenol because liver damage is hard to recover from, and especially if you take it with alcohol. And this happens. I, I have a statistic in my head from some, somewhere or another. Don't quote me on it. But like 40,000 people, you're getting liver damage uh, from acetaminophen, the active ingredient in Tylenol. Um, that's profound. So the idea is anything you put in your body, uh, particularly herbal or um, um, pharmaceutical can have uh, can have a, a substantial downside so I'm uh, uh, I've also seen with the smart drugs like they affect different people differently and that's why like I have choline force uh, on the website uh, this is something that uses the most well understood pathways for for nootropics like, like in all of history which is let's give you more acetylcholine and dopamine and there's by the way there's like if you go to Whole Foods there's like 20 products on the shelf and they all basically do the same thing via the same pathways in slightly different mixes of ingredients, and you won't feel a difference between any of them, including choline force, which is why it's affordably priced. It's not magic. And what you're doing there is you're just saying, here's some stuff to help you make more acetylcholine, and here's some stuff that keeps you from breaking down what you've got. And you're like, okay, this is great. And two-thirds of people who come to Bulletproof would try that are like, oh my God, like, yeah, I really like this. I'm dreaming better. Uh, I have more energy during the day. And the other third of people especially if they take it a lot, they're like, I have headaches and jaw tension and I'm angry and I want to kill people. I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting and they already had enough acetylcholine, right? So the same thing on, on something like Phenibut, right? Some people, oh my God, it changed my life. Like I, I can focus, I can do my thing. I'm, I don't have jet lag. Uh, and other people are like, I took this stuff and I'm really weirded out and I, I don't feel good and like I, I need to not do this anymore. So it, it's pretty weird, but you have to, you know, you have to really watch what your brain's doing. And the same thing, by the way, goes for all the herbal stuff that's supposed to work. I've taken herbs that gave me hives. And you're like, if you don't track that, you're like, oh my God, what's going on here? All of a sudden things suck. 
Um, so it, it's an awareness thing. And if you're just going to take a pill because, you know, Dave and Evan said it worked, I, I think you should be really careful about that, whatever the pill is, because it may not work for you and we're all different. Yep, well said. What do you do with your with your clients when someone comes in like, you know, I, I want your supplement stack? Do you tell them? In a roundabout way. I say, well, it depends. What supplement stack are you talking about? Are you talking about my I'm very busy travel stack? <laughs> are you talking about my I'm writing a book stack? Are you talking about yes. my podcast day stack? Which one are you talking about? So... And that is a great answer. And I make my stack every single day. And it's different every single day based on how I'm feeling, what I'm going to do, what I did the day before, when did I work out last. Like all of that really, like when you know what the stuff does, uh, your body will even tell you which one you want more of. Like like there's an intuitive thing. Like I, you know, I, I was going to grab that bottle and I just felt in my gut like, I don't need that today. right? And to, to be willing to say, all right, there's probably some value in that. Uh, but certainly to know cognitively what you're dealing with uh, that's why I tell people, you know, I'm never going to tell you my whole stack because it changes. And also, okay, uh, how much do you weigh, Evan? 145. All right, so you weigh 145 pounds. I, I'm with the muscle I've got right now. I'm actually about 220. Like I, I put on some muscle uh, recently. I've been doing a little bit more, a little bit more than my normal. Not very much. Uh, uh, this, this is uh, the ARX. I've been doing that and continue to do electrical stimulation and the bulletproof vibe. Uh, and just just doing it a little bit more often, like twice a week instead of once a week. And so with this amount of muscle, given that I tend to be autoimmune, I tend to be inflammatory, I've had autoimmune issues in the past, and I was formerly obese. I had arthritis when I was 14, Lyme disease, toxic mold, all this crap. Okay, I have a stack that's customized for me. And if I put that out there, and a 145-pound guy like you, who's a different age than me, uh, I'm guessing you're a little younger than I am, uh, I'm, I'm 42, right? My testosterone, my pregnenolone, my DHEA, all those levels, they're just going to be different. And if you, if you put that out there, I actually think it's irresponsible when, when people say, you know, here, here's my stack, you should take my stack. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, it doesn't work. You can say, here's the 10 most important things that, that apply. Here's the 12 most important things. Here's things you might consider. Uh, but if you haven't, uh, you haven't uh, done the work, uh, get your baseline stuff in order. That's pretty straightforward. Magnesium, vitamin D, uh, things like that. But when you want to get into the more esoteric stuff, I think you've got to start testing. Otherwise, man, y- it could be dangerous. And that goes for phenibit, it goes for um, aniracetam, one of my other smart drugs, as well as, I don't say vitamin C, that stuff's about as innocuous as it gets, uh, but as, as well as many of the other vitamins and minerals, including zinc and copper, which are on my list. But if you're copper toxic, like some people, that stuff will mess you up. Amen. Yeah, I just did a whole video on copper toxicity. Nice on my YouTube. People are nuts. I was copper toxic. I was a copperhead for sure. If people don't know too much about copper toxicity, the main symptom is kind of wearing your heart on your sleeve. You're just very emotionally charged. You could watch a TV commercial that's really not that sappy and you're crying. So that was one symptom that I've discovered. There's a lot other deeper yeah. copper toxic symptoms, yeah, but no, that I, was one that I found. I cried at a commercial just yesterday. Um, it was the Squatty Potty Unicorn commercial. Does that exist? <laughs> Somebody sent it to me yesterday, and I'm assuming. All right, I'll just I'll put a link to this, even though I have no business relationship with Squatty Potty. It's just the stupidest, most brilliant marketing ever. They actually have a unicorn pooping rainbow-colored ice cream, it's as a as a metaphor for having a healthy poop. The Squatty Potty is like this oh. thing you put under your toilet that makes lifts your knees, so allegedly you poop better. 
Um, I, I know some health professionals who like them. I also know a lot of people who don't use them and, you know, whatever. I, I, it, it's, I tried something like that a long time ago and couldn't tell the difference. So um, anyway, uh, the, the ad though is hilarious because I did cry from laughing because it was, it's so incredibly cheesy but, but self-aware cheesy that it just squatty potty unicorn poop, uh, you will never look at ice cream the same way again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but since you haven't seen it, it's probably not funny. But after this, after this, just just Google that. You'll see it. You'll cry too because well, it's I worth crying for. Uh, it looks like we're coming up on the end of our end of our episode here, and you know the question I'm going to ask you, Evan. At least you probably do. Uh, given all the all the things you know, including forest bathing and adaptogens and whatever else, but not 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 excluding anything else. If I came to you tomorrow and I said, Evan, I want to kick more ass at everything. I want to. I perform better everywhere. What are the three most important things I should know? What would you say? Yeah, absolutely. So number one for me is to hug more people. I thought you were going to say I mean, trees. I was so sure you were going to say no, hug more trees. <laughs> no, hug more people. All right, I like that. No, hug more people. Now, obviously, we could spend hours talking about oxytocin and boosting up the love hormone and things like that, but we're in such a physically disconnected world. You and I are digital right now. There's so many people that are listening that are not able to physically touch us right now. Touch is a sense that we have that's underutilized. So hugging people is essential. So your kids, your spouse, your family, everybody that you have around you that you're comfortable with, I highly recommend embracing that person and just connecting with them. I always say eight seconds. There's a couple psychologists out there that say Eight seconds is the proper amount that's going to boost up the oxytocin level. Whatever. The longer, the better, generally. So number one, hugging people. Number two, I would say to find something uplifting that you can put your energy into. There's so much depressing stuff out there. There's so much bad news and bad things. It's so easy to be a pessimist. And negative things are what we're drawn to. I think it's part of humankind that we tend to focus on the negative i think that's what's helped us build cities and achieve everything is because we didn't we weren't happy with the hut it, and the cave it also keeps you from getting eaten by tigers like, like we naturally focus yeah. on the negative because the negative will eat you like that's okay, Absol- right? tr- very true yeah and so negative memories typically lock into the brain because that's what helped our survival. So we still have that primal wiring system where negative things are going to stick into the brain and positive emotions seem to just come and go so quickly. So if you have something positive that you enjoy, whether it's writing or doodling in some type of like meditation journal or just cutting the grass while listening to some music or listening to a podcast, just among all the other busyness that you're wrapped up in, focus on that one positive thing that you get enjoyment from and put more energy into that. Thirdly, I would say just to immerse yourself among other like-minded people. Don't give up. There's, there's tough times ahead, I think, for a lot of people, but there's so many good times ahead too. So if you have one friend out there that you can talk to and get out of your own head sometimes, because there's a lot of crazy thoughts that comes into your head sometimes, find somebody to talk to. My best friends are my grandparents. So maybe that third recommendation should be spend time with elders more. Find elders that you can listen to. There's a lot that's being lost in the modern age that we're losing, like sitting on your front Hmm. porch. That used to be such a popular thing, sitting on your front porch because there wasn't air conditioning and it was too hot in the house to be inside. So you were forced to sit out on your front porch with a neighbor and have a conversation. That's rare today. 
I think you're the first person in like 250 episodes to say, you know, spend time with your elders. And, and there's a flip side to that too. Um, for older people, spending time with younger people makes you live longer, right? So like when you're younger, you get the wisdom download and when you're older, you get the youth upload. It, it's kind of a, like a pretty positive thing to do. I, it's one of, the, one of the, the things I don't talk about enough. Thanks for bringing that up. Like I, You're welcome. I've run an anti-aging research group with people like 30 years older than me on the board uh, for 10 years. <laughs> like I've learned a thing or two from those people. So I, yeah. I love it that you said that. That was, that was a pretty profound one, Evan. Thank you. Yeah, my, my grandpa, I showed him YouTube. He was looking for a song for 40 years at every record shop in the country. I pulled up YouTube and showed him this song called The Chicago Story. I have a video of him crying. Wow. After he heard that song and discovered YouTube, I mean, it gives me goosebumps. Yeah, all of humanity's achievements, at least many of them, just uh, at the tip of the tip of your fingers, just to see if you can find it. That's pretty amazing. Yep. Awesome. Where can people find you, Evan? Um, what's uh, well, we already talked about your your show, but name your show, URL, things like that, and we'll put these in the show notes. But that way, people listening in their car or something can uh, can check out your work. Sure. The best place is not just paleo.com. Paleo by itself is gets boring, so I want to open the door to other topics. Cool. You've been you've been a guest on there, so there's the podcast, 150 something episodes. There's several different free resources for people. If they just head to the website, I give away a free chapter of a book that I wrote called Stress Solutions. That's all about the different forms of stress. That free chapter is there at the website for people if they sign up for the newsletter. There's more than enough free info, 99% free info there. And then if people want help and they want to dig deeper, you know, I offer your listeners a 15-minute free call, and I'll jump on the phone and listen to what people have in mind, what's going on, what are their goals, and see if I can help them and how I can help them. Uh, that's awesome. Thanks for doing the work you're doing, and uh, enjoy your next forest bathe. In fact, I'm about to head outside and uh, bathe in the forest myself. Have a great day. Take care, Dave. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. Head out there, check out some of what Evan's doing. And while you're at it, head on over to the Bulletproof website and pick up some Bulletproof coffee because, you know, the research data isn't published yet, but I have it on very good authority that you're going to learn some really cool stuff about Brain Octane in the next few months here. All I can say is that that stuff works and it totally works. So get yourself a bottle of Brain Octane and some Bulletproof coffee beans and keep doing the Bulletproof coffee in the morning because you're going to like how you feel. And uh, I'll be giving you some more data about what it's doing pretty soon. I'm pretty stoked on that. Have an awesome day. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. 
This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.